All right, let's open with a prayer and then we'll get started. Lord, uh, thank you for tonight. Your word says that you've that we're your masterpiece, that you've created us for good works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk in now. I don't know exactly why each person is here tonight, but I believe that you brought them here tonight for a reason, just as you brought me here tonight for a reason. And that there's something that you want to do in their life specifically. They may not even realize what it is. It may come to their awareness tonight, or maybe they brought it, they're very well aware of what they need, and they're here hoping somehow, some way, that you would meet that specific need. Maybe they're not even uh, believing that it can be met. It, it seems hopeless to them. But it's something that weighs on them every day, maybe even recently, that it's it's been something that they just haven't been able to get over, something that they've been struggling with in one of their relationships with their spouse, with their child at work, um, with a parent, with an in-law, with a friend. I'm not sure. But you know. And I'm here to speak on relationships in general, specifically tonight, resentment, repair and reconnecting. And it's an issue. We have problems in our relationships. So wherever they're at, I'm just presenting myself to you, Lord, I ask that you use me in their lives to help them wherever they're at to move uh, to the next space, to to have a breakthrough, to have an insight, to give them revelation, to give them a miracle even, to to help them to see what they haven't been able to see, to bind up their broken hearts, to set the captive free to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I ask you to use me, however you want to use me tonight, to say whatever it is you want to say to them, that they might have greater freedom, that they might have the type of life and the relationships that you want them to have. And I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is one big problem in relationships, and you can look on your outline. And it's right there in that little box. Hurt people hurt people. That's the big problem in relationships. We hurt others and others hurt us. And you can see I've got four different scenarios there. Pretty simple when you think about it. You've been hurt because others have failed to love you. Yes? Number two, others have been hurt because you have failed to love them. Maybe the person sitting next to you knows that. Number three, you have been hurt because you failed to love yourself the way you're supposed to. 
Some of y'all don't even realize that, but that's true too. And fourth, we've all been hurt due to our disconnection from God, the ultimate source of love. Now, maybe you've never thought about it this way before, but I'd, I'd like you to just consider it, that this is the big problem in relationships. Hurt people hurt people. Because we've all been hurt, some of us were hurt by our parents. Some of us have been hurt along the way of life. We're supposed to be wholehearted. You remember I told you? We're supposed to be wholehearted, live wholehearted, fully alive, free, open, connected to God and to others. But as we go through life, things happen. And we get hurt by people who sometimes are well-meaning, that don't know how to love us. Maybe our parents couldn't love us because they never got love. Or maybe someone that's supposed to have loved us is taken from us at a time where we really needed them. Or they leave because they're scared or they're ashamed or they have problems or they're addicted or whatever. Some of us have even experienced abuse at one time or another in our lives. And what happens is our hearts get broken. And after our hearts are broken enough times or we're disappointed, we get disappointed enough, then we lose heart. And when we live life having lost heart over a period of time, we become half-hearted. And that's how many of us live our lives, half-hearted, not fully open, not fully loving others or allowing other people to love us. And some of us never even realize to the degree that that is the case. And we don't realize that we have become so disconnected from other people from God, from our spouse, from our children, that really if you were to define the problem in our life, the problem in our life is that we are not able to love others the way that we're supposed to, and we have trouble receiving love the way that we're supposed to. And the problem is hurt people hurt people. That's it. You've been hurt because people fail to love you. Others have been hurt because you fail to love them. You have been hurt because you fail to love yourself. And we've all been hurt due to our disconnection from God, the ultimate source of love. And you know what? Sometimes these things can be worked through. The problems can be identified and you can work through your issues but sometimes they just need to be forgiven. Sometimes forgiveness is what solves all of this. And I want you to just think for a moment. Think of a relationship that you have. I want you to think, number one, okay, here you are. This is you. I'm going to put you in case you forget. If you ever forget, if you really you know, feel lost and you don't know where you are in life, just go to the mall 
And when you enter the place, it'll show you a map and it'll say you are here. If you ever forget where you are, that's how you figure out where you are. It'll show you you are here. But in case you forget tonight, this is you, okay? And you are supposed to, the Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're supposed to love others as you love yourself. But I just said the big problem is our hearts get broken. We fail to love. That all of the problems in our lives and in our relationships are due to the fact that because we've been hurt, we hurt others. We fail to love. That, that, that handout that you got in that little, in the insert, you should have gotten an outline like this. Connecting in relationships. If you pull out that handout, I'm not going to go over it all, but I want to show you what's on there. Question at the top is, have you failed to love? And it starts out with the two great commandments, and it goes on to explain it. I'm going to give you a chance to read that if you haven't already. And then it defines what love is. It comes from 1 Corinthians 4, 8. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind. And then it defines all the words in that, what patient means, what, what kind means, and all that. And then there's a scripture from 1 John. And the question is, have you failed to love? If you don't know what love is, this is a definition of what it is. And then, And then if you're not really sure, you can... Look on the back, have you failed to love God and have you failed to love others? And I use the Ten Commandments as a guide there. The first four commandments have to do with loving God, and the second, the last six have to do with loving others. And you can look at the Ten Commandments and look at a definition under there. And if you were to spend some time looking at that, I'm going to give you a chance to do that later, or you can do it on your own. The question is, have you failed to love others? God and yourself the way that you should. And if you really looked at it, all of us, including myself, would have to answer yes. And that's the problem. In a nutshell, it all boils down to that. We've all been hurt because others have failed to love us. We failed to love ourselves. We failed to love others, and we've all been disconnected with God and we've been hurt as a result of it. So think about a relationship in your life that you're struggling with. Maybe more than one relationship. This is the other person. It's that relationship. And if there's a problem, there's hurt, Or you're disconnected. If that's the problem, how do you fix that problem? Sometimes you can't talk to that person because they won't listen. They won't hear you. They won't be able to validate your feelings. And I don't, I don't actually, when people come to me for counseling, I don't actually recommend that if you have a problem with a person that you're necessarily going to resolve it all the time by going and trying to talk about it. Even with your spouse, sometimes that's not a good idea. 
How many of y'all have ever had a problem with your spouse and you tried to talk about it and it got worse? I went to marriage counseling with my wife and it made our marriage worse. If you're going to go to marriage counselor, uh, I'm not just trying to drum up business here. Go to a person that knows how to do marriage counseling. There's a lot of counselors that say they do marriage counseling. They have no clue what they're doing. Everybody on my staff has been trained to do marriage counseling. The five counselors that I have have gotten 12 days of eight-hour days practicing a technique that is the best technique and best methodology on the planet right now. If someone hasn't specifically been trained to do marriage counseling, go get individual counseling from them, but don't go get marriage counseling from them. But even if it's not a marriage, it might be a parent or an in-law or a boss or a friend. Sometimes you can talk about it and work through it, but sometimes it just needs to be forgiven. That's how you work through it. You forgive them. You forgive yourself. You learn from the experience and you move on and try not to repeat the same problem. And they may never know it. it. It may not mean that you go tell them, I forgive you. You may just forgive them. That's between you and God. Sometimes you blow it. You're the one that hurt the other person. And sometimes, I like what they say in AA. AA has 12 steps, of course. And Celebrate Recovery has borrowed that. And a lot of people don't realize that AA, the 12 steps of AA, that actually came out of the Bible and it took two drunks, Bill and Bob, who created AA to teach Christians how to actually practice Christianity, which is what they do in AA. We could learn a lot from the AA program. If you actually went to a meeting, they have a very simple program. You follow these 12 steps. You come to the meetings. You, After you work the 12 steps, you find someone else that you can help work the 12 steps. And you get a sponsor. You get a sponsor that helps you work the 12 steps. And then you stay sober. And in order to help you stay sober, you give away what you learn, which is you sponsor someone else. That is discipleship. You get someone that helps you learn how to do this practically. And then you do it with someone else. You disciple other people. And you disciple people to disciple other people. And it, it, it grows like that. It's like a multi-level marketing business. That was early Christianity. And then we came up with this organization called the church. The church was never intended to be a building or an organization or an institution. Now we got 200 flavors of church denomination, two, over 200 denominations. Even within the Catholic church, which some people believe is the original church that the Protestants broke off of, even within the Catholic Church, there are schisms and different beliefs and systems within the Catholic Church. Within the Protestant denominations, you got 200 different ones. So, whatever relationship it is, sometimes you can work it out, sometimes it just needs to be forgiven. So I want to spend some time talking about forgiveness. And by the way, 
You can think about your relationship with God. There's a lot of people that, if they were really honest, their relationship with God is not right. They're not right with God. And there are people that believe that if you just got right with God, that you're, that you would be okay and that your relationships with others would be okay. There's some people that believe that if you're in a marriage, if you both strive to have a better relationship with God, that you will come closer together. Well, I can just attest to that's not always true. <laughs> Barnabas and Paul were two apostles. They went on missionary journeys together. They both loved God. And they got in a squabble over John Mark because John Mark bailed on the first missionary journey. He was a young Christian and he couldn't take it because it was too tough. They came back later when they wanted to go on the second missionary journey. Barnabas was ready to take John Mark. They had a meeting, you know, about the mission trip, and Paul didn't want to take him. Barnabas said, come on, Paul, he was a young Christian. I mean, he's older now. He's more mature. Paul said, I can't trust him. I forgive him, Barnabas, but I can't trust him. The Bible says they got in a heated debate. They couldn't resolve it. So Barnabas took someone else and went on his mission. He took John Mark and went on his own missionary journey. It was a church split, a missionary split. And Barnabas took Silas. I mean, Paul took Silas. And so they had two missionary journeys. Paul could forgive John Mark, but he couldn't trust him. So they couldn't resolve their issue. They, were both, they both loved God. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the Civil War, both the North and the South believed in God, and they believed that their cause was just. The Protestants and the Catholics went to war. You know, in Europe, they, the Protestants came to the United States to colonize this country because they felt like they couldn't resolve their issues. There have been all kinds of issues Wars fought where both sides felt that they were representing God. Even when Paul, the great apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he thought he was rounding up Christians who were, who were defiling the true church, which was what he believed was Judaism. At the time, he was a Jew. And by the way, the first Christians were Jews because they were practicing the religion that we have as the Old Testament. And everybody was doing what they believed God was ordaining them to do, and they had conflict still. So you can have two people in a relationship who are both loving God and trying to do what God wants them to do and still have conflict. We've had major wars over it. Who's right? Who's wrong? Paul and Barnabas could not resolve their issues. Now, later, Paul acknowledged that John Mark was faithful. And you know what? God practiced, God all used all that for the good. There's a perfect illustration of Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to call according to his purpose. Family life, Pastor Martin recently passed away, is one of my spiritual heroes and a grandfather who believed in me at a time when I really needed it helped me to start the MNU Counseling Services as a nonprofit 20 years ago. 
Family life was the result of a church split, which split off from the early Christian teaching center. Sometimes those type of things, we don't understand why they can't resolve themselves. It would seem that two Christians who were submitted to the same Bible, who were submitted to the same God, would resolve their issues if they were both praying and seeking God. It doesn't always work that way. So, this is what I know. You can have, you can get right with God and not necessarily resolve all your own issues nor your issues with others. Sometimes you'll still struggle with resentment. Resentment really is not a feeling. Resentment is a past hurt that you keep reliving. Resent means to refeel. You refeel an old hurt over and over again. You can't let it go. It keeps entering your mind. You dwell on it. You rehearse it in your mind, and the feelings get stirred up. That's what resentment means, is to refeel an old hurt. So you can do that with others. You Sometimes when you get right with God, your issues get resolved, and your issues with others get resolved, but sometimes not. Sometimes this is how it works. Sometimes you got a problem with God. Maybe you don't trust God. You feel like God lets something bad happen to you and you actually have a problem with God. You're mad at God. So you're not being right with God keeps you from feeling okay about yourself. Because if you're cut off from God, it's going to be really hard to love yourself and it's going to be hard to love others. That's why people say if you get right with God and you can get God's love in you, then you'll be better able to love others. I do believe that. But I also believe that sometimes when you're blocked with God, if you will get right with another person and get to a point where you can forgive another person and reconcile with another person, whether it's with them personally or just getting okay with letting go of a resentment, which is an issue between you and another person, but it's also something you're harboring in yourself. Sometimes when you get rid of that thing, all of a sudden you're able to feel God's presence. It can work both ways. You get right with another person. That's where God says, uh, if you're presenting your gift at the altar and you realize that your brother has something against you, Hey, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled with your brother and then come back and offer it. You know, we got all these people that are church worshiping God when they got all kinds of problems within their own self and with other people. Sometimes people have problems within themselves, issues from their past with their mom, the dad, that they were hurt badly. They were disappointed many, many times. They were broken by life, and they're so broken, and they they are so hurt that they can't connect with God. They have to resolve the issues within themselves before they can even connect with God. It's not as so simple all the time. They're all related. Sometimes we have to get right with ourselves before we can get right with others and God. Sometimes we need to get right with God. That's the key that allows us to break free personally and then with others. Sometimes if we'll get right with others, 
it will free us up that we can connect with God. It can all work. But the key to all of this stuff, I believe, is forgiveness. Now, I want you to think of something really bad that's happened to you, where someone really hurt you. I don't know. Can everybody in here acknowledge that they've been hurt by somebody? I have. Can everybody in here acknowledge that they've done something stupid or hurtful to themselves? Or they've screwed up? Yes, I have. Can everybody in here acknowledge that they've had issues or they've questioned or doubted God at one time or another? Okay, so we're all in this together except a few of you that are lying. And it's a good place to be because churches are for liars. They're perfect for liars and sinners. That's what, that's what churches are here for. Um, so if you're not a liar, sinner, cheater, adulterer, or an addict, there's really no place for you here. You can get up and leave. It's not a showcase for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. That's what the church is. That's what Jesus said. He spent most of his time not in church, hanging out with the Pharisees, the good people. He, did, he said, I did not come to, to hang out with saints. I came to reach the lost. And you know what? What was interesting is all of the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the people that the church religious people didn't want to hang out with because they thought they were unclean, those people never had a problem hanging out with Jesus. They didn't feel uh, condemned or uh, made wrong, or they didn't feel preached at. Jesus just told them a lot of stories with tremendous spiritual truths. They, fought, they, they wanted to be around Jesus. That should tell us something right there. How come people don't want to be around so-called Christians that feel like they judge them? What's, what's the difference between them and Jesus? There's a difference sometimes. And a lot of it has to do with, have you felt like you've truly been forgiven and received forgiveness and love and grace to the degree that you have received love, grace, and forgiveness, you will be able to dispense it. And I would say that people will want to be around you because they can sense it. So. I have some things on your outline. Just a little short class on forgiveness. Three myths about forgiveness. This is what people mistakenly believe. If I forgive, I won't think about the offense and I won't feel the, the hurt, the pain, and the anger anymore. That's false. If you forgive someone you can still feel the hurt, the anger, and the pain about the offense. Anytime you think about it, for example, you probably are going to feel some feelings about it because where the mind goes, the feelings follow. It's just like watching a, a bad movie that evokes painful feelings. You're going to feel, Just because you forgive them doesn't mean you're not going to feel the feelings anymore. Secondly, second myth is I need to get all my feelings out and heal first before I can forgive. I don't believe that that's true. Having done counseling for 30 years, some people, it's an, 
it's a well that never runs dry. Like you can talk about your hurt and pain and anger over and over and over again. And some people believe that if you just need to talk about it until you don't have it anymore, and then when you don't have it anymore, then you can forgive them. Not true. Sometimes it's like a stream bed that if you take a stick and you churn it up, it gets all muddy. And then after a while, it'll settle back down and get clear again. You take a stick and churn it up, it'll get all muddy again. It's like talking about it too much for too long is like you constantly stir it up, and it never has a chance to settle down and heal. I'm going to get to that. The other myth is if I forgive them, I need to continue to put up with their future offenses and bad behavior. No, you do not. Paul took John Mark on a mission trip. John Mark bailed out halfway. On the second mission trip, Paul had forgiven John Mark, but he didn't take him because he didn't trust him. So if I had a a, a person working with me that stole from me and did something serious, I would forgive him and I would fire him. Two separate issues. Forgiveness is forgiveness. It's between me and God. I should forgive 70 times 7. Infinite. Every time. Every time someone does something wrong, I should forgive them. It does not mean I have to, however, continue to put up with that bad behavior. I may need to set boundaries. I may need to change some things within myself. I may need to practice tough love. Two different issues. And people confuse them. This is the truth about forgiving others. Forgiveness is not a feeling, forgetting, condoning what they did, or letting them off the hook. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a choice, an act of the will, unhooking yourself, obedience to God's word, and turning them over to God. You're not letting them off the hook. They're not getting off the hook. You're actually unhooking yourself from them. It's good for you to forgive. God commands us to forgive, not just because it's the right thing to do and what he did for us, but because it's good for us. When you don't forgive, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the person you're upset with or who hurt you to die. When you don't forgive, it's like digging a grave for two, one for the person you're mad at and the other one for you. If you don't forgive, they will continue to hurt you for the rest of your life. You not only imprison them, but you imprison yourself. When you forgive, you're making three commitments. One, you will not hold it against them anymore. In other words, it's a pardon. Richard Nixon was guilty. Gerald Ford pardoned him. He was not innocent. He was guilty, but he was pardoned. That's what forgiveness is. You pardon the offense. Number two, you will not keep rehashing the same claims against them. You don't keep bringing it up over and over again. Now, I want to clarify. When I was 19, my dad went through family week. We went through family week. My dad went to treatment for alcoholism. And at the time, there was a part of it where we had to list our offenses, where the things that dad did that hurt us, and we had to share it with him. And part of that was to help him see it because most of the time he was in a blackout. 
It didn't register how bad his alcoholism was to him. And it was part of, partly helping him, but also it was helping us to let go of the hurt and the pain and the anger. Well, I cried buckets during that time. And I felt bad, sad for my dad. That was when I was 19. It wasn't until I was in my 20s and 30s that I was actually able to feel any anger toward my dad. I never felt any anger until 20 years later. Well, what happened? It wasn't that I hadn't forgiven him. It was like a deeper layer of the onion. It wasn't the same issue. So when you deal with an issue of hurt, especially like infidelity or serious betrayal, you will go through layers that you will have to peel back. And you might get to a deeper level and a deeper level. That's not rehashing the same thing. That's getting to a deeper level. But when you forgive them, you're making a commitment that you're not going to rehash the same thing over and over again. If you do bring up something, it needs to be something deeper or different, not the same thing. And this is after you've had an opportunity to process it and deal with it and talk about it. It's not like you have to only, you can only talk about it one time and then be done with it. But this is after a period of time where you've talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and processed it. When you finally forgive them, there's got to come to a point where you stop bringing it up. And if you have an issue, you take it to God or to a friend or to a counselor. You don't keep taking it up with the person because after a while, the person won't be able to hear it anymore. They'll become angry. They'll get frustrated. They're a human being. It won't work. It'll, it'll doom the relationship to perpetual upset if you keep talking about it over and over again. The last part is when you forgive, you're, you're making a commitment that you will not allow your mind to dwell on the offense when it surfaces. So it's going to enter your mind. It's going to pop into your head sometimes. You're going to get triggered by a movie, by something a person does. Something's going to remind you of the offense. It's going to pop into your mind. You have to learn to take your thoughts captive. You have to learn when the thought comes into your mind that there's many different techniques for helping you to not dwell on it. You have to distract it. You have to change the channel. You have to not let your mind go there, not let the video play take the movie out, change the channel, do something to not dwell on it, because if you dwell on it, the old feelings will come back. And you have to learn how to do that. So the process is this. This is how you forgive someone. You tell the truth about it. You tell the absolute whole truth and fully. You lament. You you you. Get all the hurt and anger and everything out. It's like popping a boil. You're not going to put a Band-Aid over it. You, you have to deal with your feelings. You, you, tell, you tell the truth. You deal with your feelings openly and honestly. And then in the midst of having told your feelings or after you really tell your feelings and tell the truth, then you make a decision to forgive. Once you've made a decision to forgive and you've turned it over to God, then you establish certain boundaries if you need to, like you put a bandage on it. If I were to have a bandage or stitches to, to, into a wound, 
that I've had, it would make sense that I would protect that for a period of time. I mean, if I keep hitting it or using my arm after surgery, or if I, if I had a cut here and I keep walking around and I don't protect it and I keep touching it again, it's like it's going to keep reopening the wound. So I've got to do whatever I've got to do to protect my, my wound and set boundaries so that I can heal. But that's the order. I tell the truth. I deal with my feelings. I make a decision to forgive. I set boundaries and then I heal. So this is a little video I want to show you. And then I'll say a few more words. Uh, the great C.S. Lewis says this. You think you could do, you think you could do that? I mean, we're all talking about hurts. I don't know how many of you have been seriously hurt, but I have. And he says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. So back to the slide you were at, Doug. The key to forgiving others, if there's a key, this is what it is. It's what it says in Ephesians 4.32, the end of it, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. To the, it's to the degree that you have received forgiveness that you will be able to forgive others. So what do I mean by that? There's a story told about a woman um, in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. You can follow along on the screen. It says, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. 
Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such woman. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. How do you think she felt? Now, we all know John 3.16. We see it all over the place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. We don't often think of the two verses that follow. But look at John 3, 17 through 18, which comes right after that verse. For God did not send the Son, Jesus, into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world, all of us, should be saved through him, Jesus. He who believes, that is, places their faith and trust in him, in Jesus, is not judged or condemned. He who does not believe has been judged or condemned already because he has not believed, trusted in, the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at it on this video. This is the woman. Because you were forsaken And I'm accepted You were condemned And I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again I'm forgiven Because you forsaken and I'm accepted 
God so loved the world, all of us, you, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes, places their faith and trust in him, should not perish but have eternal life now and forever. This is what it looks like. Um, this is four scriptures that come out of Romans. And if you if you were to pull out your little white sheet of paper that says, have you failed to love? It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you look at, have you loved others? Have you loved yourself? Have you loved God? We've all fallen short. And then it says, the wages of sin is death. But then Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, even though we were shaking our fist in God's face, even though we didn't think we needed it, Christ died for us. Barabbas should have gone to the cross. He was a sinner, a murderer. But he was let go. And Jesus, with all the spit, filth from the soldiers and the religious leaders and beaten half to death with all of our sins written in his body went to the cross. A guilty man was set free that should have been killed and an innocent man took his place. That's what Jesus did for us. To the degree that you understand that and have received that, that you know that you're a sinner, that you have failed and you have been forgiven and you have received that forgiveness and love and grace, you can give it. If you don't know that you needed it, if you haven't received it, you can't give it. And that includes forgiving God and yourself. And what I was going to say about the AA program, I forgot I got off on a tangent. There's two steps where it says we made a list of all people we have harmed and became willing to make amends to all of them. But then this is where the discretion comes in. We made amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
which means that sometimes you can't resolve it with another person. It's not appropriate. It can't be talked through. It just needs to be forgiven. And when you picture Jesus at the cross and bleeding, take whatever issue you have and go into that presence and see if you can't get over it. And then it says, this is the beauty of it. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You know what saved means? It doesn't just mean you go to heaven when you die. It means you're going to be healed, set free, made whole, helped, be able to see that your broken heart will be healed, that you'll be set free from whatever's holding you in bondage. It not only means heaven when you die. It not only means your sins are forgiven. That would be good enough. But it means the Holy Spirit, which is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, comes to live inside of you. Look at this diagram. We're separated from God by sin. Jesus comes, dies on the cross. Next slide. And he makes a way for us to go to God again, to be made right with God. And the life of God, the zoe, the true life, and the agape, which is unconditional love, infinite source of love. It says God is love. That all comes and lives inside of us. And so what then we look like is the next slide. Now we're hooked up to God, the limitless supply of love and true life and true love that's now in us. We're right with God. We have to forgive sometimes God, get over that. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive others. We need to, whatever it takes, get right with ourselves first, get right with others first, get right with God. Ultimately, we need forgiveness and to forgive ourselves, forgive God, and receive this. So we're going to end part one. We're going to take a little, I'm going to end with a prayer right now. I'm going to have a little five minutes of music, and I've still got 15 minutes to present. So just I want you to bow your heads with me. If you need to be saved, if you need healing, if you've never understood what I just explained to you, and you know you're not right with God, something's been blocking you, maybe you just got in touch with it, and you're willing to let it go. You're willing to bring it to the feet of Jesus. You're willing to ask for forgiveness. You know you need forgiveness. You've been stuck harboring resentment. That's a sin. Jesus says, forgive, forgive them. They know not what they do. If you want that, if you want salvation, you admit your sin, you profess a belief in Jesus Christ that he died for you to pay the penalty for that sin and understand that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. And then you ask him into your life. You open the door of your heart and you ask him to come in and take control. 
If you want to do that, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. You pray silently in your heart. God hears you. I'm going to, I'm going to say the words out loud. You just let them, repeat them in your mind to God. Dear Father in heaven, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short, and I need you to save me. I believe that Jesus Christ was your son, that he died to pay the penalty for my sins and rose from the dead to be seated at your right hand. Therefore, right now, I ask you to forgive my sins, all of them, based on what Jesus did for me. I thank you that through Christ, I am forgiven. Jesus, right now, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I surrender control of my life and my relationships. There may be a particular one that you're thinking of to you. I ask you to come into my heart and make me be the kind of person you want me to be. I commit to follow you the rest of my life by your grace. Amen. So, if you prayed that prayer, Jesus Christ has come to live inside you by way of the Holy Spirit right now. And He's going to begin to change you from the inside out. So, if you prayed that prayer, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to let the band play a song. It's, this is going to be a response time. I'm going to give you a couple of options. One option is that you'll be able to take a five-minute break, just go to the bathroom, get up, move around, and then we're going to come back here at it's 7.37. I'm going to start back at about 7.43. Okay, that will give us 17 minutes. I'm going to teach for 15 minutes more about how to do some actual repair in your relationships, give you some steps, give you something to work with between now and next time. And then uh, next week, I'll elaborate on it because we, we finish the series next week. But during this break, maybe you just want to be silent, be present with God. Maybe you uh, want someone to pray with you. There will be some staff up here to pray with you. But the other option is if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you really meant it, I want you to come up and get one of these books. Nobody's going to haggle you or anything. Just come pick one up. There's, one, there's some on this side. There's someone, this is a little booklet that I wrote, probably given away 7,000 of them over the years. It's called You Can't Make It Alone. The first chapter is my personal testimony. Uh, the second chapter explains how to get right with God in a little bit more detail than I just did. The third chapter is how to grow in your faith. There's some tips on just prayer and reading the Bible and getting plugged into a church. And it's my gift to you. But these are only for people that have done this for the first time. So like if, if you've understood this before and you prayed to receive Jesus into your heart before and you just rededicated your life, this book, don't come get one of these books or else you'll have another sin to confess. Okay? You can call my office and we'll send you one for free. But tonight, these books are just for someone who did this for the first time and really meant it. You did it for the first time and really meant it, just come grab a book and you can go back to your seat. You don't need to do anything else.
okay? And if, if it's not you and you just want to sit quietly or to go take a break, it's up to you. As you get older, if you're younger than me and you're in a real, if, if you uh, maybe, I don't know, if you're a little bit younger than me or 10, 20, 30 years younger than me, forgiveness will become more of an issue as you get older. It, it doesn't become less of an issue. It becomes more of an issue because the longer you live, more people hurt you. People are not going to stop hurting you as long as you're on this side of the heaven. And sometimes you're going to be able to work it out. Sometimes the person will listen to you. Sometimes you can get counseling and work it out. And sometimes you just have to take it to the foot of the cross and forgive them. But you can't do it superficially. You have to do it genuinely. So I want you to look on your outline. And there's steps to repair and reconnect. So I want to I want to just kind of go through this. I'm going to give you the, the the answers to the outline so that I don't run out of time because I'm going to end right at eight. And if you didn't come get a book, if you didn't feel comfortable, they're going to be up here after the service. You can come grab one after the service. Um, uh, so if y'all remember correctly, when I if if you didn't if you weren't here for the uh, session one. Uh, you can go and look at it online, but I want to just kind of summarize it, that in all relationships, in all significant relationships, if you'll look up on the screen, you will see a typical scenario. And if you look, you know, up on the left side, you've got the husband and the wife both kind of yelling at each other. That's called find the bad guy, mutual attack. Up on the right, you got the same thing. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. And then you got the protest polka, which is criticize, defend, pursue, withdraw, where you got over here the wife, you know, protesting, arguing, confronting, fussing, and the guy shutting down or tuning her out. On the other side, you got the husband. He's imploring his wife, come on, honey, and she's shutting him out. Criticize, defend, pursue, withdraw. And then you have the last slide, the last picture is freeze and flee. Or you got both people that are kind of shut down and is just disconnected. And everybody in a significant relationship, if you've had any significant relationship with a spouse, or a child, or a friend, over a, a length of time, chances are you're going to experience this kind of a scenario. Maybe not exactly like that. Everybody's got their unique dance. So like for the first 22 years of my marriage, Michelle was the pursuer, and I was the withdrawer. She would, you know, confront, criticize, and pursue, and I would you know, get frustrated, defensive, eventually shut down and pull away. And the more that I would get frustrated and shut down and pull away, um, the more anxious and angry she would get and the more she would turn up the volume. And the more she would get frustrated and upset, 
the more I would shut down. And the more I would shut down, the more she would fuss. And it became a cycle. So then I thought, after 22 years, she got better. Because we stopped fighting. And about five years after the 22-year period, about 27 years into our marriage, we married 35 years this year, I found out what the real truth was. She just gave up trying to change me. She didn't get better. She just stopped fussing. She stopped complaining. She started telling it more to God than to me because she didn't think it was any use telling it to me anymore. So that's why things got better. So then I was put in this awkward position where we're now disconnected, and now she's withdrawing, and I was the withdrawer, and both of us were withdrawing and shutting down. And when both people shut down and withdraw, and you got a real issue because then there's no connection. Nobody's protesting the disconnection. So she said to me she didn't need me anymore. All she needed was God. And how do you think that made me feel? You know what I wanted to say? I didn't say it. Thank God I didn't say it. But what I really wanted to say, I said, okay, next time the credit comes, card comes in, take it to God and ask him to pay it. So everybody's got a cycle. But what ours has turned into is a, a different kind of a mode. We'll, we'll slip into a fight. We'll step in the mud. You remember what mud means? Misunderstood, unseen, devalued. I'll get a look, a criticism. I'll feel disconnected. Something will happen, and I'll, I'll get angry or look angry because now I've kind of turned into this, you know, uh, transformed withdrawer who's, expressing anger for the first time in his life, and it's coming out the wrong way, and Michelle's now shutting down. She's doing to me what I used to do to her, which now I'm feeling what she used to feel, which is horrible, like because no response is the worst response. So now we're like, you know, she's a burnt-out pursuer, and I'm a uncomfortable withdrawer trying to confront and communicate when I don't want to, and I'm afraid of rejection. So... What, this is how you stop this, this is how you repair, uh, disconnection. Or when you find yourself in this cycle, you become disconnected. So first thing you do is you, is up there, you see and stop the negative cycle or dance. And we're going to elaborate on this next week. But this will give you something to work with. So you, you've got to see that you're in a cycle. You've got to be able to see that you're doing that thing again. You're, you're, you know, you're doing it again. The same thing you always do. It's, it's analogous to like you're playing tennis and if you're on the court, all you're thinking about is the other person and hitting the ball back. They're hitting the ball at you. You're hitting it back. They move that way. You move this way. They move that way. You move this way. They move that way. You move this way. And the ball keeps coming at you and you hit it back. In order to be able to stop the cycle, you've got to get off the court, get up in the stands and see, like whenever this person hits the ball, that other person moves this way and they hit it back. And because they hit it back over there, the person moves over there and then they hit it back. And then when they do that, this person does that. You gotta be able to step back out of the game. You gotta, you gotta 
Shift your eyes from the ball to the game. You've got to learn to see what you're doing as I would see it or as God would see it. Second thing, number two, is you've got to take responsibility for your part in the dance. Now, we all say we know you need to take responsibility for your part, but let me be specific. You have to claim your own moves, claim your own feelings, and then own how you shape your partner's feelings. So this is what it would look like. So Michelle and I got in a fight, you know, in our typical, particular, unique way, you know, that I've just described. She's a burnt-out pursuer, and I'm coming off abrasive and abrupt because my anger, I'm not used to dealing with it. And I say something, and she shuts down, okay? So if we're trying to see this, we've got to first see it, and then I've got to claim my own moves. What would that be? What would that look like? I've got to be able to see that, okay, I'm being abrupt. I'm cutting you off or being dismissive. That's what I'm doing. I'm claiming my moves. I'm being abrupt. I'm cutting you off. I'm being dismissive. And then I've got to claim my own feelings. I'm feeling frustrated and angry, obviously. That's why I'm acting that way. And then I've got to own how what I'm doing shapes my partner's feelings. So in other words, when I do that, when I'm being abrupt and I'm cutting you off and being dismissive, frustrated and angry, it makes you not want to talk and it makes you want to shut down. Okay, we see it now. I see it. I'm taking responsibility for it. It's not just all me or you. It's not you or me. It's us in this cycle. I'm doing this, and it makes you do that. So then the third thing is I need to be vulnerable and open up, which is a hard thing to do because what happens when we feel fear and shame? We hide and blame all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, when I'm afraid of rejection, you're asking me to be vulnerable with someone that's cutting me off or abandoning me, or you're asking me to open up and be vulnerable with someone that's mad at me or fussing at me or criticizing me. you got to be kidding. But you see, that's why the first two steps are important. i got to see the cycle. We've got to take responsibility. Okay, I claim my moves and my feelings. I own what I'm doing with my partner, which creates a, a safer space now. And so then what I would what it would look like is I would... Ask about your partner's deeper emotions. So I might ask Michelle, after acknowledging, okay, I realize we just did that thing, and I know I just was abrupt with you and probably made you want to shut down. What's really going on with you right now? What 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 did that do to you? And she would say, well, it, it makes me feel demeaned, like unimportant, like what I have to say is insignificant. And then I would share my deeper, softer emotions. I might say, well, you know what? I know I just did all that, but what I'm really feeling is I'm, I'm really feeling alone and kind of hopeless and rejected. Like I'm in this all by myself and I'm scared. I know I showed anger, but that's what's really going on. And then step four, we would unite in building a more secure bond. In other words, we've both 
kind of said what we do, and Michelle would simultaneously be doing the same thing. And number two, she would claim home. It was like, okay, I just shut down, and what I'm feeling is dismissed. And when I do that, I know that just makes it worse for you because you feel like I'm just cutting you off. See what I'm saying? So if we both do that, it creates a space for us to be vulnerable where we can ask about the other person's deeper emotions. We share our own. And then the most important thing is we unite against this common enemy. What is the common enemy? This cycle that we're in. It's the cycle. That's why Sue Johnson, in the book Creating, uh, 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 Created for Connection, which is the methodology that me and my staff have all learned, um, that's why she says, uh, she calls these dances, these three dances, demon dialogues. Like a lot of people blame the devil for everything. You know, I'm not one of those people. I think we do plenty enough to ourselves without blaming the devil. I mean, even Eve blamed the devil. Okay, the devil didn't make her eat the apple. Her flesh made her eat the apple. It says that in James chapter 2. Go read it. I mean, the devil can only tempt you. He can't make you do something. And most of the time we blame the devil is because we're doing our thing. We're blaming somebody. We need somebody to blame. If it's not me and my, my partner, it's got to be the devil. No, it's my wounds, her wounds, and us together in our cycle. That's the problem. Yeah, the devil's watching. He's in the stand saying, oh, yeah, baby, my job's easy. I don't have to do anything with this couple. They're doing it. They're, 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 they're knocking themselves out of, out of the game. But that's what you do. You you see and stop the negative cycle. You take responsibility for your partner dance. You be vulnerable and open up. And then, you know what? We're going to unite against this cycle. When we see it happen, we're going to try to stop it and do something different. And I want to just give you some reparative. And I'm going to bring this all on an outline next time and give it to you because I didn't bring it tonight. Some reparative words and phrases. These are some great things that I've picked up along my 58 years that I actually use a lot of these things. Uh, and I'll have a handout for you next time, I promise. Forgot it tonight. So best thing you can learn to say is, and you need to learn to say this, even if it's hard, I was wrong, I am truly sorry, will you forgive me? Another one I use, can we rewind and start the tape over? You didn't deserve that. I screwed up. I said that and did that because I was feeling blank. What I wish I would have said and done was some more. Next slide. I know something happened when I just did whatever and it upset you or made you feel whatever. I don't want to make you feel that way. Please tell me what happened for you or in you. I want us to be close. I don't want to mess things up. I want to make this right. Or another version of that is I could I see something went wrong with my partner. I can say, hey, what did it do to you when I just did such and such? Or what just happened for you and in you? Because I can notice we just became disconnected. Another thing comes out of the book, Love and Respect, Ephesians 5.33, which says, Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his wife even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. 
So the women, if you end up in a crazy cycle, you're supposed to respect your husband and he's supposed to love you. So women, when you're feeling unloved, this is what you say. Well, that felt, that felt really unloving. Did you feel I was being disrespectful? The men say, you know, that felt really disrespectful. Do you feel like I've been being unloving? It gives your partner an opportunity to say. And then last slide, another thing you can do is, it feels like we're starting our negative cycle. I don't want us to be disconnected. Please help me to change the direction. Or when we're stuck in our cycle and I'm deeply, and I'm doing my thing, whether it's pursuing or withdrawing, what I would like you to see in and understand about me is what's really going on is, is I'm afraid. Or what I think would help me is, or what I would like you to do or say is, and there's infinite number of things you can do. The point is you see and stop it. You take responsibility for your moves, your feelings, and how you shape your partner's feelings, and then you open up and be vulnerable. You ask about their deeper emotions. You share your deeper emotions, and then you unite against your common enemy, which is this cycle. If we can see it, then we can stop it. We can recognize it's not me or you. It's us feeding off of each other. That's what's disconnecting us. Let's not blame and hide and blame. Let's recognize we both got fear and shame going on. We both got hurts that are getting triggered. When you do this, I do that. And the more you do that, the more I do this. Let's stop it. Amen? Let's close with a prayer. Father, thank you for tonight. I pray that you would help them to remember this, use it. You would bring them back safely next week. And that this word that you've spoken would go and bear fruit, much fruit. That it would help them to see, that it would bring healing, and that it would set them free. In Jesus' name, amen.